0: Good morning once again. I invite you to woo, turn your Bible or your electronic device to 1st Thessalonians chapter 2. 1st Thessalonians chapter 2. It's printed for you in your bulletin on pages 10 or 11 and 11, or in the Pew Bible on pages 835 and 36. Last week we learned about the change that the gospel made in the lives of ordinary people and the impact God made in them and through them. Paul, who was the author of this letter, stood amazed at what God had done in just a matter of three short weeks of faithful and effective ministry. In spite of opposition, the Thessalonians remained joyful and faithful to Christ and had effectively witnessed to their whole region. Paul thanked God that they had really changed and that they were having a big impact for the kingdom on those around them. So in this passage this morning, Paul shifts his attention slightly. He devotes this section of his letter to remind them of his integrity when he ministered among them. Hear now God's word to us from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had much or we had boldness in our God Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil... We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory." This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me once again. Thank you, God, for the way that you make your word personal to us. Lord, this was written to people a long time ago, but it was also written for us. I pray that we would listen to you speaking and that you uh, would change us uh, and make us like Christ, that we might glorify you and point others to you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the date was November 2nd, 2008. Kirsten and I were still living in Chicago. And it was the night that Barack Obama had just won the presidential election. Actually, the big rally was just a few miles away from where we lived. And we were watching the local news, and the guest being interviewed was the then-governor of Illinois, Rod Blagojevich, And the, the, the host was interviewing him and asking him questions. One thing of particular interest was the fact that the governor... Got to appoint the vacant Senate seat. Uh, Obama was a senator, and now he was going to be president, and someone had to finish his term. So the host asked some interesting questions. He said, "Uh, Have you thought about who you might pick for the Senate seat? Now, some politicians like to be evasive in their answers, so that wasn't surprising. Uh, But he said something like, I'm sure we'll pick the right person for the job. The host asked, would you consider taking the Senate seat yourself? He said, I'm not going to commit to anything at this moment. Uh, Even for politicians, the interchange was kind of strange. Uh, And only later would everyone come to find out that he was trying to sell or trade that Senate seat. So maybe the people he had in mind were watching and he didn't want to give away anything or, or make the seat appear more valuable. Uh, and what was the fallout? Well, he obviously, he, he wasn't the governor anymore after the truth came out. And he was sentenced to 14 years in prison uh, where he wasn't able to be uh, with his wife and two daughters. And he's still in prison right now. Uh, what about something a little bit more closer to home and something more recent? Antoine Wilson, who was the head of D.C. Schools, had resigned this past week for manipulating the lottery system to get his daughter into a different school. This particular school had a waiting list of hundreds and hundreds of people who wanted to be in this school. And he, he found a way to rig the system so that she could get transferred to this school without having to wait. And when I shared this story with Kirsten, uh, yesterday she rightly pointed out, what do you think the daughter, how do you think the daughter felt about that? He was trying to do something good for his daughter, but... He did it uh, with a way that was not with integrity. Uh, and of course, with the hashtag Me Too movement, um, many things have come to the surface of people not acting with integrity, not acting um, in a way that, is, um, that exercises good leadership. So if Paul was concerned about integrity in his day, things haven't changed very much in 2018. It's obvious that we're dealing with a crisis of integrity in our culture, that it's a problem. What is integrity? Uh, the dictionary says it's the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles or moral uprightness. Uh, So Young Kang, a blogger for the Huffington Post, says that the key components of integrity are consistency, honesty, and truthfulness of one's actions. Consistency, honesty, and truthfulness of one's actions. And if you want to summarize it uh, even more, integrity means that you are the real deal. That who, what you say and what you do, it matches up. Now, I mentioned a few examples from the broader culture, but what about the church? When I say the word televangelist, what comes to your mind? I'm guessing that something good does not come to your mind. Why? Well, many televangelists use their platform to get money from people instead of to truly minister to people What is one of the most common excuses that people give for not going to church? They're all a bunch of hypocrites. And they can name people and stories to justify their claim. And what about threats and temptations to our own personal integrity? It's tax time. We haven't done our taxes yet. Some of you have, some of you haven't. But it's certainly a temptation to not be honest in our dealings that way or we're sometimes tempted to cheat on our tests at school or to not do our work. Uh, Viewing inappropriate material online or on our phones is only a click or a tap away. So what is the impact of bad integrity or impact of lack of integrity? Will people get hurt? People lose confidence. People leave the church. Couples get divorced, and on and on. It, it, It is a serious problem. The crisis of integrity in our day, is the same basic problem that Paul faced in his day. Not all preachers do what they do for the right reasons. Many people have a ministry, and many people have influence, but not everybody is the real deal. By God's grace, Paul and his friends had proven themselves to be the real deal with the Thessalonians. It was Paul's sincere love for God and the Thessalonians that motivated his ministry, and he wanted them to know that. If the Thessalonians thought that Paul and his friends left town suddenly and had not returned because they were only interested in getting money from them or glory from them, they might have been tempted to abandon their faith because it was merely a tool to use them. You hear what I'm saying? He wanted to make sure that they didn't think that this was just another message that people were using to try to get money. It certainly isn't worth all the trouble of being a Christian if there's no substance to it, right? The integrity of Paul's ministry was on trial, and so is ours. And if we don't adequately address our integrity problem individually and in the church as a whole, the world will mock us or ignore us. They'll make fun of us. At best, we will miss out on the joy and blessing that Paul and his friends experienced when they preached the gospel from a sincere heart and the effectiveness that they enjoyed. But at worst, we may find out that we've been kidding ourselves the whole time that we've been playing church. So I have two main questions for us to consider this morning. Why do we need integrity in ministry, and where does integrity come from? First, why do we need integrity in ministry? Answer, we are accountable to God, and people's lives depend on it. He begins in verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So Paul here rehearses the story of what happened to him before he came to the Thessalonians. And this account is found in Acts 16. Definitely worth reading. I was edified by it as I read it this week. But let me summarize it for you. The time in Philippi was a mixed bag. Several people came to faith in Christ, but Paul and his friends also suffered in a variety of ways. They were followed around for several days by a very disruptive heckler. If you read it, this this girl who had a spirit of divination. She was somehow able to. She had some sort of spiritual knowledge, and the the she was a slave, and these owners would use her to get money. And she kept following Paul and his friends around, and it says that Paul was perturbed and fed up, and he said, uh, "In the name of Jesus, you know, I come out of her this spirit," and it did. And the slave owners were not happy about it because they couldn't get money from her anymore. Who knows what that spirit did to her person and to her dignity. So they had this disruptive heckler. But then they were seized and dragged before authorities to be falsely accused. Again, these guys didn't care about this girl's well-being. They didn't care about Paul and his friends or what they preached about. All they cared about was that they couldn't get money anymore from this slave girl. They were attacked by the crowd, stripped of their clothes, and beaten with rods. And they were put in prison with their feet in shackles. And again, God was doing different good things through that time. This is when they were, uh, at midnight, they were singing hymns and the prisoners were listening. And suddenly there was a great earthquake and all of the, uh, the cells were open. And the jailer, whose job it was to keep everybody where they were, saw what happened and was about to kill himself. And Paul says, we're all here, don't harm yourself. And I wonder if the, the jailer had been listening to the hymns as well because he, he asks, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And, uh, and he and his family were baptized. So good things were happening but the next day they were to be released, and uh, they apologized because they realized that these guys were, were Roman citizens, and they shouldn't have done all that stuff without trying them in an orderly way, in a fair way. Uh, but they had to leave the city. So they, they suffered tremendously. They, they, were, they went through a lot to get the gospel out. Now, you wouldn't blame them for taking a break at such a moment, after having received such treatment. But they went on because God gave them boldness to preach the gospel to the Thessalonians in the midst of more conflict and opposition. Now, think about it. If you went through all that stuff just to minister to these people, just to minister to the Thessalonians, would you stand for a false accusation against you? That you would be considered just another person or another group of people who went around trying to get money, trying to get glory? I wouldn't either. Paul doesn't use the word integrity in verses 3 through 12, but he focuses on two main things, which are his motives and his conduct. And let's look at each one. First, motives, verses 3 through 6. He says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So first he mentions what his motives were not. They weren't from error. They weren't impure motives. They weren't from any attempt to deceive. He wasn't trying to trick them. Verse 4, he says, it wasn't to please them. Again, think about it. People can come up with very good speeches and impress people and even get people to give them money but you don't have to preach such an offensive message that you get brought before the authorities and beaten with rods and thrown into prison you can get a big crowd without uh, you know talking about all this Jesus stuff and sin and repentance so it wasn't any attempt to deceive it wasn't any attempt to please man it wasn't words of flattery or a pretext for greed one commentator, commentator says, Flattery was commonly viewed as a way to get money out of others. So the double denial of flattery and greed in this verse does not surprise. Again, flattery is telling someone what, you want, uh, what they want you to hear. Or you're telling them uh, what they want to hear to get something out of them. That was not Paul's motive. And not seeking glory from people, verse 6. Uh, And we might even want to add, not because they thought that they were better than others. Again, they were talking about weighty matters of sin and judgment and the grace of God in Christ. And they didn't do that because they thought that they were better. They preached the message that they needed and believed themselves. So what were Paul's motives? And for our purposes, what should be our motives for ministry? Well, he says it was for the good of others. In verse 4 he says, to declare to you the gospel of God. He was preaching so that they would be saved. He was preaching their, for their salvation and for their joy. He had their good in mind. So he, his motives were for the good of others and for God's glory. Verse 4 says that they had been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. In other words, they were accountable. It wasn't that they had appointed themselves to this job, God had commissioned them to preach the gospel to others so that the world would know. And in verse 4, he also says that God is the one who tests their hearts. He calls God and the Thessalonians as witnesses. The same commentator I just mentioned says, There are now two witnesses to the herald's integrity, the Thessalonians and God himself. And with this, their blameless character becomes established fact. Again, two witnesses. The Thessalonians knew what happened when Paul came, and God knew what was going on. He had commissioned them and given them that job. So their motives were good. Their motives were for God's glory, for the good of the Thessalonians. What about their conduct? It's one thing to say something about yourself. It's another thing to back it up. We see this in verses 7 through 12. And as I read this list of their behavior, think about your own life. And think about what the Holy Spirit would convict you of for your good. Again, we, we often are afraid of getting in trouble. We're afraid of the consequences. But through the grace of God, when he reveals sin to us, it's for our good so that we would change and so that we would be a benefit to other people. Verse 7, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct conduct, toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So, again, in verse 7, he emphasizes that he was gentle. He was like a parent. He was patient with them. Verse 8, affectionately desirous for you. In other words, Paul and his friends genuinely loved them and wanted what was best for them. Verse 8 says that they shared the gospel and their lives. This means that they were willing to work night and day so they didn't have to ask them for money. And kind of a summary statement in verse 10. Holy and righteous and blameless was their conduct. Again, like a father with his children, Paul and his friends exhorted, encouraged, and charged them to walk in a manner worthy of God. Uh, In other words, they were nurtured and trained by Paul. In the movie Black Panther, the, the elder king who is passing on the throne to his son, who has just become king, Uh, The younger one says, I'm not prepared to to leave you. I'm not prepared to be without you. And he says, the father says, A father who hasn't prepared his children for his death has failed them. End quote. The love is shown in the preparation. Paul showed this fatherly love to the Thessalonians by preparing them to live faithfully as Christians. And he wasn't going to stand for a false accusation. And it had prepared them to walk worthy and to make a big impact for the gospel, as we saw in chapter 1. They were living it out. They truly believed. They were persevering with joy. And it was because Paul, by God's grace, had prepared them for such a work. So why do we need integrity in ministry? We're accountable to God, and people's lives depend on it. Again, the Thessalonians needed to be trained. They needed to hear the gospel They needed to know how to walk in it. They needed to know how to live faithfully and and to witness to their neighbors. So if we have an integrity problem that we must address, and we need integrity in ministry because we're accountable to God and lives depend on it, how can we be Christians with integrity like Paul and his friends? That leads to the last question. Where does integrity come from? And if you want to, take notes, or if you have been, whatever, but... um, Here are four things for you. Recognize we have a problem. That we don't naturally have the right motives or right conduct. Again, we all have sin. None of us has completely pure motives all the time. So in humility, we recognize that we need help in this area, that we need to change it. It's not just a former governor in Illinois. It's not just a former head of D.C. schools. It's each one of us is tempted to not do what's right, to cut corners, and we need need to recognize that uh, we have a problem and that we need help. Second, we repent and ask forgiveness from God and those we've wronged because of our lack of integrity or lack of maturity. Again, this is the way that God leads us into faithfulness, is through being humble and through repenting of our sin. And remember the boldness of Jesus. Remember the boldness and pure integrity of Jesus for you. Think of Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. When Jesus said that he was going to the cross and that all the disciples were going to deny him, what did Peter say? I will never deny you. Though everybody else fall away, I will never deny you. And if you know the story, it didn't take long for him to deny Jesus. It was part of the plan. Peter needed to see how much he needed God's grace. But then what do we see in John chapter 21? Peter had gone back to fishing, which was his original job. And one of his friends in the boat says, Look, it's the Lord. Jesus was standing on the shore. And what did Peter do? It's kind of strange says he put his clothes on and swam over there to be with him. But the one that he offended, the one that he had sinned against, was the one that he was going back to. The one who had been seeking him. Again, think about it. Why was Jesus even there? Jesus was coming to seek him. Jesus was coming to bring him back. And Peter knew that there was nowhere else to go to restore him. He says, do you love, Jesus said, do you love me more than these? He gave them the chance three times to confess that he loved Jesus more than anybody else. He restored him for the three times that he had denied him. And it was because, not because Peter was so great, but because he loved Peter and he forgave him. Again, think of the promise, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, you might be tempted to say, all right, I'm going to be a person of integrity for the rest of my life. It's not willpower. We have something that the world does not have. We have a Savior who forgives us and restores us and changes us into people that are just like him. So we recognize that we have a problem. We repent and ask for forgiveness of God and, and in some cases, we ask for forgiveness. We need to go back and repent to other people for our lack of integrity. We remember the pure and boldness, purity and boldness of Jesus for us. And that we renew our commitment to the means that God gives to you and me to make you a person of integrity. Think of the pillars that the leadership of this church has um, presented to us from God's word for what we are about as a church. Think of worship. One of the ways that God renews you, that God makes you a person of integrity, is to worship him. Again, these, these men and women who, who lacked integrity, in the moment of crisis, they became their own standard, right? They did what was best for them. When we worship God and acknowledge that he is our Lord, it, it holds us accountable. He changes us in his presence, and we become like him. We worship God with his people. Think of the community pillar. Living in meaningful relationship and community with those here. God has not called you to be a Lone Ranger Christian, as it is said. You can't grow as a Christian without other Christians, without being with them, without praying for them, without encouraging them. Um, Commit yourself to worshiping God daily. Whether individually or as a family, if you have one, commit yourself to daily meditating on God's word and to prayer. Again, we worship God here together. This is a special day, but then throughout the week, we we worship Him privately and we worship Him with a family if we have one. And then find a few people that you can really talk with, people that you can really trust, to confess your sins and struggles with integrity. So that they might encourage you, pray for you, and challenge you and hold you accountable. I have a group of guys that do this. I was encouraged to, to find a group by one of my seminary professors. Uh, he himself has a group of guys that he talks with regularly, and they even get together twice a year to, to encourage one another, to hold one another accountable. And I have two friends from seminary that I talk with usually every other Wednesday morning. And we pray for one another. Uh, Again, churches everywhere are struggling in a variety of ways. And as we're able to pray together for our various needs and what we're facing in our lives, not only in church, but personally, uh, I'm reminded and I'm renewed and refreshed of the task that God has given me to do. And this is not just for pastors, this is for everybody. That you really have people that you can talk to and be accountable to. So, integrity doesn't mean that you're perfect. I hope that you don't think that. But it does mean that you are learning how to repent. I'll say it again integrity doesn't mean that you're perfect. Most everybody knows that Billy Graham, the famed evangelist, died this past week at the age of 99. And he had quite an impact. He preached the gospel to an estimated 215 million people in 185 countries. And he was especially known for his personal integrity. But one blemish that people point out was in a private conversation between himself and former President Nixon. Uh, Here's what uh, this article said in the New York Times. Uh, Mr. Graham's image was tainted in 2002 with the release of audio tapes that Nixon had secretly recorded in the White House three decades earlier. The two men were heard agreeing that liberal Jews controlled the media and were responsible for pornography. A lot of Jews are great friends of mine, Mr. Graham said at one point on the tapes. They swarm around me and are friendly to me because they know that I'm friendly with Israel. But they don't know how I really feel about what they are doing in this country. Mr. Graham issued a written apology and met with Jewish leaders. In the interview in 2005, he said of the conversation with Nixon, I didn't remember it. I still don't remember it. But it was there. I guess I was sort of caught up in the conversation somehow. What stuck out to me was that he did go back and repent. Again, even Billy Graham was not a perfect man. He acknowledged what he had done, and he went back and asked for forgiveness because it was the right thing to do. Let me close with this. Earlier this week, I was reading in Ephesians, and I want to read for us this last passage. I know I've taken a while, but... Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets... Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in him, every way in him who is ahead, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So why spend a whole sermon talking about integrity and in ministry? Well, what I just read says that the job of pastors and leaders is to equip you for the ministry. So as you serve him in ministry, in the ministry that he's given you to do, and as you daily remember the gospel and turn to Jesus to renew your motives and to make you a person of integrity, God will be glorified in you and through you and all of us. And the people around us who desperately need Jesus will see people who, who walk the walk and talk the talk. They need our faithful witness with our words, and they need our faithful witness in our conduct. Again, we're not perfect, but we rely on the grace of God, and we turn to Christ in the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we know that we cannot change ourselves. We cannot generate the willpower to make ourselves people of integrity. And that is the reason why you came, because you had perfect integrity. You are the Lord of the church. You are the one that we are accountable to. You have a mission for us. A mission to be committed to our own discipleship and humility and repentance and faith. But Lord, also to be a witness to those around us. We pray that your word would work in us effectively, that we would be changing, and that we would delight and with great joy be your faithful witnesses, that we would delight to know you as our God, and that we would delight to be with your people, and that we would delight to be your witnesses. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.